Okay, I'm reading from uh, John chapter 12, if you want to follow. And it is the first 11 verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then, Mary took about half a liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of, one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 11 verses again. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread was only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at a table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So we watched for an opportunity to hand him over. A very good morning to you all. Everyone okay? Good week? We're here, aren't we? By God's grace. Let's hope that we receive grace and peace to get us through another week. So here we are, Mark's Gospel, the book of Mark, and chapter 14. It is an amazing, awesome privilege, isn't it, to study God's Word together on this day. So Mark chapter 14, and verses 1 to 11, Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard someone say something 
and you haven't listened to them properly? Or maybe a better question would be, have you ever seen someone who hasn't listened properly? Or maybe they just haven't got the point of what's being said to them, and as a result, they've gone off and said something totally inappropriate, or they've done something inappropriate. Now, I've got a friend, and he told me a story about his mother, who's very often away in the clouds, and she was listening to someone talking to her, but she clearly wasn't listening. And this woman told her, oh, this week, uh, my mother passed away. And my friend's mother just wasn't listening, and she was just going, oh, that's nice. And then the woman said, what? Did you hear what I just said? Oh, sorry, no. I said that my mother passed away this week. And she said, oh, sorry. <laughs> and um, when my father was a teenager, he went along his street looking for jobs, little handy jobs to do. And he said, do you need anything sort of painting or anything? And a man did give him a job. He said, look, I need my outside toilet painted. So my father went to paint the outside toilet. Now, what the man meant was, could you paint the walls inside the toilet? But my father literally painted the toilet. And as he was in the middle of painting the toilet, the man, so in Wales, I don't know if it's like this in England, in Wales, toilets always used to be outside. So in Wales, people thought, it's a dirty English habit to have toilets inside the house. So all the toilets were outside. And this man needed to go to the toilet, and he sort of banged on the door, and he told my father, out of here now, I need to use the toilet. And the man sort of sat down. And the next thing my father heard was, Betty, get the tips. You know, he'd had sort of masonry paint all over his behind. <laughs> so that's an example of someone clearly not listening to what's being said or just completely missing the point. Now, on a more serious note, do you find that happens a lot in the Gospels? People listen to Jesus, but they're not really listening, are they? People listen to John the Baptist, but they don't really listen to him. People read Moses and the prophets, but they weren't really listening to Moses and the prophets. They got the wrong end of the stick. They completely miss the point, or they don't listen properly. And I think the latest example we have of that is Mark chapter 12, isn't it? What happens at the end of Mark chapter 12, right at the end of Mark chapter 12, Jesus points at this poor widow who gives everything that she has to live on as an offering to God in praise and worship. And Jesus says, look at that. Look at that, that poor widow. She's given into the offering box more than anyone here. She put two small copper coins And they're thinking, what? She gave more than everyone else? Yes, she gave everything that she had to live on. Now, that's the way to love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And that's the way to love other people as much as you love yourself, or more than you love yourself. That's what that poor widow has done. Look at that. And then in the next breath, what do the disciples do? They point at a building and say, wow, look at these big stones Look at this beautiful building pointing at the temple. They were magnifying the temple. And what was the job of the temple? The job of the temple was to magnify Jesus. What you call something that magnifies something? Is it like a microscope, is it? 
So that's really what the temple was. It was like a microscope. When you were looking at the temple, what were you supposed to see? You're supposed to see Jesus. The temple is like a signpost pointing to Jesus. Everything about the temple was pointing to Jesus. The priests, the sacrifices, the whole layout of the temple, the furniture, were all pointing to Jesus, preaching the gospel to us. But so many people missed it. The temple was really just packaging. What was the real gift? Jesus. Now, some of you might not know, but it was my birthday this week. Thanks for all the gifts. (laughs) No, I did have some wonderful gifts. And could you imagine when I open the gift and then I see this lovely jumper or whatever in the packaging, that I just look at the packaging and say, oh, this is amazing. And the person says, what are you doing? That's just packaging. That's supposed to go in the bin now. That's served its purpose. And that's what Jesus really says in chapter 13. The temple, well, that's on the way to the bin. That's kind of served its purpose now. In 40 years' time, that's going to be gone. Gone. They were so obsessed by religion, you could say. Do you think so? The disciples, obsessed by something that was supposed to point to Jesus. And then, in Mark chapter 14, we see another example of this. We see the unbelieving Jews being obsessed by something that was supposed to point to Jesus. What do we read in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2? Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now, what was the Passover? The Passover was a festival that was pointing to Jesus, wasn't it? Another signpost pointing to Jesus. It was something that the Jews were remembering. They were remembering something that happened 1,500 years ago or so that was pointing to Jesus. So it was all tied up with the 10th plague in Egypt. So the Hebrews were living in Egypt under slavery. Nine plagues had already happened. And then the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn son in every house. Can you imagine that? God's judgment was coming. And in order for this judgment to pass over a family, a house, so that the firstborn male wouldn't die in the house, what did they have to do? They had to kill a lamb, an innocent lamb, and apply the blood to the doorpost, at the top and at the sides. So it might have looked something like this. So look at that little lamb there lying on the floor. That's been knifed. That's been killed. And the blood has been poured into a bowl. And then they would get the hyssop plant and apply it to the wood, the top and the sides. And you think, oh, that poor lamb there, that lamb did nothing wrong, innocent. But because of the blood of that lamb, the judgment would pass over the house. So when the destroying angel came in the night, the Bible says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
And here's a question for us this morning. Are you covered by the blood? Not by the blood of a lamb, but are you covered by the blood of the lamb? The lamb. I don't know if you've ever been to a supermarket and people ask you a question, are you covered? It's quite a powerful question, isn't it? Maybe the AA or something, they're trying to sell breakdown covers, isn't it? They said, you might break down. Are you covered? And that's the question for you this morning. Are you covered? Not in case you break down in your car, but are you covered for when the judgment comes? So how were the people to know that the blood of the lamb had worked? What did they have to do? They were thinking, oh, the destroying angel has passed through. Has the blood worked? You can almost imagine the family would go into the bedroom of the firstborn male, and they'd see him sleeping, and they'd think, is he going to wake up? And then when he opens his eyes, he's alive! The blood has worked, doesn't it? This was such a clear picture of the death and the resurrection. Jesus is called the firstborn, isn't he? From among the dead, the firstborn from creation. Because Jesus, our firstborn, has risen from the dead, that is proof that the blood worked. Are you covered by the blood? Could you imagine how horrendous it was for families who didn't apply the blood... And then in the morning, they would call their firstborn son to come and have breakfast. They would say, Joshua, time for breakfast. Come on, Joshua. They'd knock on the door. No answer. They'd open it. And there, their firstborn male son would be lying dead because they weren't covered by the blood. And I need to ask you this morning, are you covered by the blood of Jesus? It'll be a horrendous thing for you to wake up one day and realize that the judgment had come and you hadn't applied the blood. You hadn't trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been singing great songs about it this morning, haven't we? The blood of Jesus. We must trust in it. You must believe that Jesus died for you, that he shed his blood to wash away all your sins. Are you trusting in him for that? And look at this next picture, the cross, isn't it? It was like a cross-shaped blood stain, wasn't it? It was a sign that was screaming to the people, Jesus has died for your sins. He's shed his blood for your sins. That's the Passover. But what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Festival of Unleavened Bread? So in Egypt... You can almost imagine that the Pharaoh would have woken up and he didn't trust in the blood, did he? He would have woken up and maybe his firstborn male would be lying dead in a bed. And then he said, go. Hebrews, go. Moses, just go. Get out of here. And then what did the people have to do? They went on an exodus. They had to leave Egypt, this land of slavery. And the instruction was, don't muck about, don't hang about now. You need to leave this place. Follow the Lord. Go with God's people. Go to the promised land. Run for your life. Run away from Egypt, this land of sin. So people say, you haven't got time now to make sort of fluffy bread. (laughs) 
Don't put the yeast in the bread. You haven't got time for that to rise. You have to cook bread now without yeast in it because you haven't got time. You don't want to hang around there. You have to run for your life. That's such a picture for us, isn't it? In the Bible, yeast represents sin. And I believe God is asking us, are you running for your life? Are you hanging around with sin? You can almost imagine in Egypt, those sort of 3,500 years ago, there might have been some people there who were thinking, hey, yeah, I'll catch you up. I'm just going to wait for my fluffy bread because I've actually put yeast in my bread. I'll catch you up. You go on ahead. And people say, what, are you mad? You want to stay in Egypt longer than you have to? You want to stay in this land of sin and slavery? No, you need to run. Follow God's people. Follow the Lord. Go to the promised land. But very often, that's what we do, isn't it? We hang around sin. And God is telling us, run away from sin. Follow the Lord. Follow his people. Fix your eyes on the promised land, isn't it? But I don't know about you, but I like hanging around with sin sometimes. How stupid we are, isn't it? The feast of unleavened bread. But how ironic it was when these sort of Jewish, uh, these sort of religious fascists were supposed to be making preparation for the Passover, when they were supposed to be preparing to kill a Passover lamb, they were making preparations to kill the Passover lamb, weren't they? But they didn't realize it, that they were actually making preparations to kill the Passover lamb of God, weren't they? And as they were making preparations to celebrate a feast that was a symbol of running away from sin... They were preparing to murder someone, weren't they? You can almost imagine someone must have said, so in six days' time, we're going to be celebrating a festival that's supposed to remind us of running away from sin, and we're plotting a murder. Is, is this right? <laughs> Isn't it? It's so inappropriate. But very often we can do that. We can be in church even, and the vilest thoughts can come through our heads. This is supposed to be a place... I'm supposed to be full of the Spirit and worshipping the living God and serving my brothers and sisters in Christ. But then I'm mucking about with yeast, doesn't it? With sin. Such a lesson for us. But then, what do we read then in verse 3? It's almost as if uh, Mark is now saying... Right, so that's what happened in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. So here's an example for you, again, of how people don't listen to Jesus, how people completely miss the point. But now, in verse 3, I want to take you to, I want to take you back four days. I'm going to take you to six days before Passover. Let me tell you what happened on the Saturday. Let me tell you what happened on Saturday. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. While he, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. 
She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So who is this sort of Simon the leper? I used to think that he might have been Welsh, because we often do that in Wales. Have you ever seen that? You name someone after something, like Jones the Gas, or my, um, I used to uh, know someone called Peter the Hat, because he just wore a hat. That's something we always do in Wales. We name someone something the something. My dad's got a friend called uh, Die Fingers, because he's only got uh, nine fingers. He lost one finger in a rugby accident. And he was actually my maths teacher then. It's not good for a maths teacher not to have all their fingers, I imagine. But I did, I did pass my GCSE maths. So he'd name someone after something. So this guy called Simon the leper. So why is Jesus in his home? Well, we're told, aren't we, in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, why Jesus was in the home of Simon the leper in Bethany. What do we read there? Six days before the Passover... Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. So it's Simon the leper's house, and he's decided to put a dinner on for Jesus. I'm going to do a dinner party in honor of Jesus. And I'm also going to invite some other people living in Bethany. I want to invite Lazarus. He's a great dinner party guest, isn't he? If you're going to invite a dinner party guest, you want to invite someone who's been to heaven, haven't you? Someone who's been risen from the dead. Even though he probably weren't allowed to talk about what happened in heaven. But he's there, isn't he? And probably Lazarus' sisters are there, Mary and Martha. And Martha, she's sort of in charge of the catering. She's good at that sort of stuff, isn't she? Simon the leper puts this dinner party on in honor of Jesus. So Lazarus isn't the centerpiece. Jesus is at the center, isn't he? It's a dinner in honor of him. But you might be thinking, this is a bit sort of irresponsible. A leper putting on a dinner party. Someone who's got a very sort of highly contagious skin disease. What's he doing? Well, he probably didn't have the skin disease anymore, did he? I wonder if Simon the leper was this man in Mark chapter 1. Do you remember that, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42? A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man, or Jesus was moved with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing He said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I like to think that Simon the leper is this man in Mark chapter 1. Do you think though? There's a a strong possibility, isn't it? And then in honor of Jesus, he wants to put on this uh, dinner party. So why is he still called Simon the leper? I think he likes his nickname, doesn't he? His old nickname, Simon the leper. He said, no, still call me Simon the leper. So whenever he introduces himself to someone, hi, my name's Simon the leper. I said, what? You've got leprosy. You don't look like you've got leprosy. No, I know. I used to have leprosy. Let me tell you the story. Before, whenever I went near someone, 
If I touched someone, they would catch leprosy. I'd have to shout, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. I have to live in complete isolation. But then the purest man who's ever lived, the cleanest, holiest man who's ever lived came. And when he touched me, I was made completely clean. So that was sort of his testimony. So Jesus is in the house of Simon the leper and Lazarus is there. Mary and Martha are there, and the disciples are there. And we're told that Jesus is reclining at the table. Now, what's that, Jesus reclining at the table? Well, they didn't have sort of chairs like we've got here, and they didn't have sort of tables that came up to our waist. Maybe the tables were as high as like a coffee table. And the chairs were more like couches. They would lie on a couch, Uh, That's very relaxing, isn't it? It would probably look a bit like this. That's a nice scene, isn't it? Now, I'll I'll let you a little bit into my personal life. There's something I enjoy doing on a Friday night when I come home from Origin. I just like to lie on the couch and then have a bowl of something in front of me on the coffee table. There's something quite relaxing about lying on a couch, eating some snacks, crisps or chocolate or nuts or something like that, isn't it? And there's Jesus just enjoying life, isn't it? Just being completely relaxed, lying on this couch. But what happens next? You can kind of see what happens next in that picture there, isn't it? What did we read in Mark chapter 14, verse 3? While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table, so lying down on a couch with a table near him, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his body. Now, who is this woman? Well, it was Mary, John's Gospel tells us. John chapter 12, verse 3. What do we read there? Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now John gives us such detail here, doesn't he? He even tells us how much the perfume was worth. How much was it worth? A year's wages, isn't it? A year's wages. Very expensive. Now, according to the um, Office of National Statistics, apparently the average wage in the UK for someone working full-time is 35,000 something or other. I was a bit surprised by that, 35,000. We live in a very wealthy country, if that's the average wage, isn't it? And here's a question for us. If you were given 35,000 pounds, what would you do with it? What would you do with it? Would it even cross your mind to give it all to the Lord and his work? Now, just so that you know how to pray for me, I don't think I would, which goes to show how evil my heart is. It probably wouldn't even cross my mind to give £35,000 to the Lord if it was given to me. Being the good Pharisee I am, I'd probably give 3500 I think, oh, what's a tenth of 30? Oh, and make sure 10% goes to the Lord. But the rest is mine. I'll put a deposit down on a house or something, which isn't a bad thing to do, but it should at least cross my mind and my heart, shouldn't it? 
I wonder if, if I should give this in worship to the Lord. No. So you know to pray for me, my sort of stingy, selfish, unbelieving heart. But it's interesting that John picks up on the perfume being poured on the feet, doesn't it? So John is kind of, yeah, yeah, it was poured on the head, but then it probably, it was a pint, doesn't it? So it would have ran on to her feet, which goes to show, really, the dedication of the woman, that she was willing to go down on the floor, isn't it? She didn't just sort of give a little drop or something. No, she poured the whole thing that Jesus would have been drenched with it, would have run down to his feet, and she would have wiped it with her feet. But here's an interesting question. What on earth is nard? Well, it's kind of like a spice. It comes from a plant. And no doubt it would have been one of the spices that the ladies would have used to go to Jesus' tomb on Resurrection Sunday morning to sort of um, anoint his body, wasn't it? What do we read there? Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and uh, Salome bought spices, and no doubt one of those spices would have been nard, so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. It's interesting, nard is also mentioned in one other book of the Bible, apart from Mark and John. I wonder if you could guess what book it could be. So Nard is mentioned in Mark's Gospel, John's Gospel, but then another book of the Bible. Song of Songs, yeah, that's it. Now, I always get nervous whenever someone's going to read a reference out of Song of Songs, but this isn't a rude one. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 15, but it's only in the ESV. I don't know what that's about. So Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to this. While the king was on his couch... My nard gave forth its fragrance. <laughs> you can almost imagine Mary, isn't it, looking at King Jesus lying on this couch, and she, she's thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give forth my nard, isn't it? I'm going to honor Jesus now, isn't it? Isn't that so wonderful? Let's go to, back to John chapter 12, verse 3. So why the feet as well? But it's interesting, the priests also had their feet anointed. So it's almost as if John is saying, yeah, this is Jesus. He's prophet, priest, and king. So in the Old Testament, as uh, Austin reminded us, the prophet, priest, and king were anointed, weren't they? And this is Jesus, our great priest, prophet, and king, isn't it? He is our ruler. He is the one who offered the sacrifice of himself. He is the prophet, the message from God, isn't it? But then, you'd think this would have been a wonderful occasion, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus there, King Jesus lying on the couch, our prophet, priest, and king. Isn't this a wonderful occasion? But look what happens in verses 4 and 5. This sort of puts a bit of a damper on it, doesn't it? Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Again, it goes to show 
that the people didn't see. They completely missed the point, didn't they? They should have said, this is totally appropriate what's just happened here. King Jesus is here, our prophet, priest, and king. That was a totally appropriate thing to do. But instead, all they could do is rebuke this poor woman harshly. And who did it? Well, what do we read in Matthew 26, verses 8 and 9? When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. It's so sad, isn't it? Again, the disciples missing the point. You can almost imagine Jesus could have turned around to them. Don't you remember what happened in Mark chapter 12, the end of Mark chapter 12? I said that was a glorious thing that the poor widow did, giving everything that she had to live on for me. And this has happened again now, and you were angry with it. But John actually tells us who actually spoke up. He actually quotes one of the disciples. And I think this is interesting. John 12, verses 4 to 6. But one of his disciples... Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Isn't that interesting? Some people say, oh, Judas Iscariot, what a complicated character. Have you heard people say that? People have sort of written books about Judas Iscariot. Saying, no, you could just write a sentence about Judas Iscariot. He loved money, isn't it? He just loved money. And look where it took him. The love of money really is the root of all evil, isn't it? But not just the sort of paper or plastic or whatever it is but also the stuff that money can buy. Money and materialism, the love of it, is a root of all sorts of evil. And Judas is such a warning for us. And look what we read in verses 10 and 11, what happened at the end of the account then. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Isn't that interesting? So how much was Jesus worth to Mary? Mary basically said, Jesus, you are worth more than a year's wages to me. You are worth more than everything that I have. How much was Jesus worth to Judas Iscariot and the religious fascists. 30 shekels of silver. Isn't that interesting? 30 shekels of silver. Now, apparently, half a shekel is two days' wages. So what is 30 shekels of silver, Joel? 120. Well, that was fast, wasn't it? I didn't even prep him with that. Didn't it? Yeah. So what is 30 shekels of silver? 120 days worth his wages. So that's 
I don't know, maybe sort of £11,000, is it? Yeah, if maybe an average wage is 35000 that's 365 days. Anyway, 120 days worth of wages. I said, oh, that's how much Jesus is worth, £11,500. 120 days worth of wages. But this is interesting. Where else is 30 shekels of silver mentioned in the Bible? Exodus 21, verse 32. And this sort of kind of upset me a bit this week when I saw this verse. Uh, Exodus 21, verse 32. If the bull goes a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave. 30 shekels of silver, the price of a slave. I don't know about you, but that sort of broke my heart, doesn't it? The human race, how did we value Jesus? The price of a slave, isn't it? How much is Jesus worth for me this morning? I wouldn't even give him £35,000. I wouldn't give him... He's actually, he's worth a slave, isn't it? Powerful stuff, isn't it? That's how much Judas valued Jesus. It's so interesting to compare Mary, Judas, and the religious fascists, isn't it? But as we move on, verse, uh, to close then, Mark chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. I love this. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Oh, I'd have loved to have been there, wouldn't you? I love Jesus. He stands up for the weak, doesn't he? He stands up for the vulnerable. He's the defender of the weak, isn't he? You can al- I can almost imagine maybe Jesus got up from his couch and sort of looked around. Leave her alone, doesn't it? Oh, he loved that. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor... You'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but obviously you don't, do you? You could help them now, but you're not going to. But you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Isn't that amazing? And verse 8 is a challenge, isn't it? It's just five short words, isn't it? She did what she could. Is that true of us? If I'm honest, I think probably... What is true of most people is there are things they could have done, but they didn't. That's what's true of me, if I'm honest. Can I be honest with you? That's what someone would write about me. There are things he could have done, but he couldn't be bothered. He couldn't be bothered. He wouldn't do the sacrifice. He wanted to keep the 35,000 to himself. He couldn't do what he could have done. He didn't want to do what he could have done. And until that phrase is true of all of us, we're going nowhere, friends. Until that phrase, those five words can be true of all of us, we're not going to move as a body, are we? They did what they could in Phil Free Church. They did what they could. 
They made the sacrifice. They honored Jesus with everything they had. Everything. I don't know about you, but do you want to be like Mary? Do you want to be like her? I just... I do. I'm not like her. You've worked that out, haven't you? You've known me long enough now. He's nothing like Mary. I don't know about you, but we all want to be like Mary, don't we? We all want to love Jesus like Mary was able to love Jesus, don't we? We all want to honor Jesus the way that Mary honored Jesus. How do we get to that place? Well, the key is... Verse 8, isn't it? She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. She knew that Jesus was going to die. She knew that Jesus was going to be buried. She knew that Jesus died for her. And when we've got Jesus' cross and resurrection at the forefront of our hearts and minds... That's when we'll be like Mary, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I know I, I act in a sinful and unbelieving way when I've forgotten the cross and the resurrection, isn't it? When the gospel is at the forefront of my mind and my heart, that's when I come slightly close to, oh, he's doing what he can. Yeah, he is honoring Jesus. He is giving Jesus everything he can now because the gospel is center, isn't it? gospel-centered. It shouldn't just be a phrase, isn't it? It should be sort of personified in us. We should be gospel-centered. And did Mary think that 2,000 years later, 2,000 miles away in Binfield, that we'd be studying her, isn't it? That we'd be reading about what she did. When she was holding this sort of pint of nard, did she think, well, in 2,000 years' time, 2,000 miles away, people are going to be talking about me No, she just saw the opportunity. She said, I know Jesus is going to be in a tomb in six days' time. In a week's time. I know he's going to be buried. This is my only chance. I might not get a chance to anoint his body when he's buried. This is my chance, isn't it? Because so many people put things off, don't they? Oh, I'll start giving my all to Jesus when I've sorted this out or that out. Do you you find that? People say, oh, there's too much going on at the moment or whatever, isn't it? People keep putting things off. People won't come to Christ. I'll come to Christ after this, that, and the other has happened, after these issues have passed away. And they never come, do they? I said, oh, I'll start living for Jesus out and out as soon as this has happened, that has happened, the other has happened. No, do it now. We might not have a tomorrow to honor Jesus, will we? So I'll do it next year. I'll do it when I've changed jobs, moved house, when the children have grown, when I've retired. And then it's gone, isn't it? I missed my chance to honor Jesus with everything that I've got. So some points for us to remember in prayer from this passage Let us thank God for Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, who was sacrificed so that the judgment we deserve would pass over us. That God would save us from the love of money and religious things. And then thirdly, that we would do what we can wholeheartedly 
as an act of love and devotion to Jesus.